Glasses guy has been running his mouth for far too long. And I want you to know, buddy, that the bearded bald one is coming for you where you sleep, brother. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast, where we discuss the latest and sometimes greatest movies every week. Your host, Gerald, and on the other side is my brother, and I mean that in a very loving, respectful way. Nicholas, let's embrace. How are you? See, I was waiting for like the <laughs> like the Mean Gene style like ring nah. announcement, like nah, nah, nah. And it's in this quarter from nah. Ithaca, New York, weighing <laughs> way too many pounds because he's fat. No, nah, the nah. reigning podcasting champion of the world. We could do that. Me, glasses we, guy. We I'm here. We here could have done that. Glasses guy. Yeah, that's that's him right there. Man, you gotta get you gotta get it's a wrestling movie, Gerald. You gotta get larger a little bit larger than life, man. You gotta get is in it there. though. Is it though? We'll we'll talk about whether it is that or not. The Iron Girl. Claw is the review this week, by the way, guys. The Iron Claw from Sean Durkin is a movie that I saw a few weeks ago and I've been itching to discuss. I didn't even know we were gonna be covering on the main podcast, Nick. And I threw up a mini review on YouTube. Hopefully you didn't watch that, but if you did, you have an idea where I'm gonna go. I don't. I don't watch the videos. Then I'm. I know you don't. I know. I've been trying to get you to subscribe for five years. I I mean this very sincerely. If if you review a movie that I want to see, I I avoid all reviews of anything before I see a movie. So, I you know if you've ever reviewed anything and I haven't seen it, then I have not watched your review of it. I promise. I'm breaking your balls, uh, buddy. Uh, Make sure you watch my review of the room, though. I feel like you'll enjoy that one more than any of the others. I'm just kidding. I haven't done that. I'm never going to do that ever again. I'm just kidding. All right. So the Iron Claw is the review this week. But Nick, before we get into our discussion of that film, we like to start every episode with what we call one big question. You've got to ask yourself a question. I have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? You tell him, Kelly Kapoor. I got one yeah. because I'm the one that does all the hard work around here. Let's be honest. Well, <laughs> so Dan, Dan listening while he's editing, like what? I know he's like, wait a second, who? So essentially, whether or not it's a wrestling movie, uh, it's a movie about wrestlers and a wrestling family. So I thought it only appropriate to swerve mm-hmm. this conversation, Gerald, Mister Christiani, over in the Facebook fan page. Get involved over there, ladies and gentlemen. You mm-hmm. can have your big question chosen by us to be right on the show every single week. He asks Gerald, what's the greatest wrestling match you've ever seen? Hmm. Wow. I've got two. I had to narrow this list down uh, because I didn't want to be here all night. <laughs> right. Why don't you go first then? So I was gonna I was gonna pick the obvious answer for me, which would be the Iron Man match between Shawn Michaels and Bret the Hitman Hart at what WrestleMania twelve, I believe that was. Mm-hmm. But I'm instead gonna pick a match from like WCW Halloween Havoc, like ninety-seven, I think it was. Can't remember the exact year, but it was Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Mm. Unbelievable, like how like WCW, like like say what you will, like the whole NWO stuff and all that nonsense. But mm-hmm. what they really did right during that time was the cruiserweight stuff. Uh, I really, really loved that stuff. It was a high flying, like high energy, high octane, like brand of wrestling. That match was just such an incredible match. I still remember and think about that match, like to this day, and and, and I absolutely have, I can't remember the year. It was either like ninety six or ninety seven, somewhere around in that kind of Monday Night Wars wrestling type era. Like back in that back in that kind of uh, back in that kind of era. All right. Well, for me, Nick, and this is close to my heart, but it's going to be Ric Flair and his last match, his retirement match against Shawn Michaels. You and I were kind of googling dates. We think it was in two thousand eight ish at WrestleMania, but I just remember possible to think it was that long ago. It's just uh, I just remember the emotion. I mean, we're going to actually talk about it a lot when we get into our discussion of Iron Claw. From my perspective, when it comes to Ric Flair and his kind of 
connection to me as a kid and really was why I loved wrestling at such a young age was because of his showmanship. And I can just remember that match kind of being absurd a little bit uh, based on, you know, how old he was and you were kind of worried about the dude, but it was really emotional because I felt like, you know, what he was feeling when he was facing his buddy, Shawn Michaels in the ring there was real. And he was like, I'm walking away from basically everything I've, the only thing I've ever done in my life. Yep. Um, so not only was it a killer match in terms of the fundamentals that were used from a wrestling perspective in the grand scale of WrestleMania and whatever, but it was just super emotional to see this larger than life character kind of, you know, his swan song there played out in real time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, there's probably one I've seen that's better technically or whatever, but that one definitely has the biggest impact on me as a fan. So, yeah, I mean, that's the rough. That's the rough thing about it, too, because it's like you want to you want to pick the ones that have the emotional impact, too, because there's a lot of those that that obviously have the emotional impact, whether you've you know, you've been a fan of that wrestler for like a long time or whatever yeah. the build up of the match or or whatever else, you know, but <laughs> I mean. You know, like you could throw in like, uh, I mean, uh, Hogan Rock at WrestleMania 18. Mm-hmm. Never forget that match when 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 Hogan was still heel, he was still Hollywood. And then the Toronto crowd just like would not let him be heel. It was great. Right. Great stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah. Love wrestling. Yeah, man. So that thank you for the question, Christiani, by the way. And like Nick said, everybody get involved over there. Patreon, the fan page, everything else. Get your questions in there. We will pick one every week to answer in the one big question segment. So that was this week's one big question. Now, as we get ready to give our review Uh-oh. of the Iron Claw, we oh, like no. to we like to give our score up front out of 10 without discussing it with each other in advance in a segment that we call the early score reveal. Damn it! This always happens. I think I'm gonna score, and then I never score. It's not fair. Never. It it is not fair. It never happens. <laughs> so, Hate all right, Beavis, let's count it in here. Uh, ready? No. You got your playing card there, or whatever the hell you're gonna use this week. <laughs> yeah, I got it. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Wow. Seven out of ten. Nick dropping a seven out of ten. It's got a 9 out of 10 from me. So a 9 from me, a 7 from Nick, makes it an 8 overall from the P's on Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw. All right, before we uh, get into why we arrived at those numbers, Nick, obviously starring Zach Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Maura Tierney, Stanley Simons, and it's a movie about the Von Erich wrestling dynasty of the late 70s and into the early to mid-80s. And the tragedies kind of surrounding their family and different things that happened to them throughout the course of the better part of a decade or so. And really even dating all the way back to uh, what would have been their older brother that died at a very, very young age. Just this kind of Von Erich curse that um, the family is convinced that kind of is a a cloud over them. So... I feel like the film is super layered. Now, this is spoiler-free at the top, guys, for the next five or ten minutes. We'll let you know when we get to the spoilers, okay, Nick? So, I'll just say, generally speaking for me, I love this movie. I mean, obviously, I gave it a nine. It's one of my favorite films of the year. It will most likely be my top ten of the year. The wrestling pedigree, and we were just talking about our favorite matches and so on. I mean, being a wrestling fan helped, but I saw this, and I meant, we mentioned Kayla on last week's show, a, a patron... She's like a 24-year-old girl that or woman that I don't know that she has any desire to know anything about professional wrestling. She was devastated by this movie. I mean, in tears, we saw it together. She was just so connected to what Efron was doing in the film, to what the brothers went through, and the kind of powerful strain of family throughout this movie. And uh the american dream and how we're expect you know we we think we know what the american dream is and these guys had it and they still just had so much tragedy befell them and you know she was so affected by it obviously i was i mean i'm giving it a nine i think zach efron turns in one of the best performances of the year here i think it's the easily the best of his career but i also think it's one of the best performances across the board from any actor this year i think it's oscar worthy i don't think he'll get a nomination because it came in too late in my opinion but i think it's worthy of that 
But I just really connected with this movie on the aspects that weren't wrestling, which is really strange because when I went to see this, I knew that Flair was going to be depicted in the film, which <laughs> we'll talk about that whole thing when we get to it. So I knew that it was going to be heavily and, you know, have a lot of wrestling ingredients in the movie. And it does. But I guess I was just surprised that I found myself wanting more of the behind the scenes stuff and the brothers and, uh, you know, his eventual marriage with Pam and their relationship and the kids and like, you know, the way the dad is kind of uh, treating the different kids in the family. Like I was just more connected to that stuff, which was strange to me, uh, even though I thought the wrestling sequences were really cool. So I'll let you put in uh, your two cents in the general thoughts here. But I mean, at the end of the day, what I'm saying is I, I freaking love this movie for a lot of reasons that I didn't think I would love it that kind of aided in my nine that I'm giving it. What about you, man? I mean, that's where I'm going to disagree with you a little bit in terms of like saying that the wrestling stuff was really cool. I mean, some of it was, some of it was shot pretty well, but and, and I think Dan listening to this and editing is going to, is going to find a, a great parallel with me here in terms of this, because Dan, Dan hates hockey movies because they're not shot right. Like it just mm -hmm. feels unnatural the way that they're shot. And like, even go back to like Darren Aronofsky's the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Like mm -hmm. I really loved the way the wrestling was shot in that movie. I wasn't a really big fan of how it was shot in this movie. The camera was way too close to the action. A lot of times, like it almost like literally felt like they were like putting the cameraman in the moves. Like it was almost like a first person perspective kind of wrestling mm -hmm. thing. And I just, it didn't vibe with me. I didn't like it at all. Like, I really would have rather they pull back and, like, just, I mean, like, what these athletes do in a wrestling ring, like, say what you will, my wrestling's fake and all that kind of nonsense. But what they do in the ring and how they put their bodies on the line and, like, all that all that kind of stuff, like, pull back. Like, let, let us see it. Like, especially with how hard these guys trained, like, like Zach Efron is a, is a dump truck in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, he stacked so much muscle on. Like, he's always been really lean. But you could tell he stacked like a ton of muscle on to to do this role. Jeremy Allen White was like absolutely stacked to play Carrie Von Eric. Like, let us see, let us see the action. I felt like the camera, it was it was too intimately involved in the match. The camera was, and mm -hmm. and and I just it it just felt it, it felt too unnatural. And maybe that's me bringing the wrestling fan side of me into it a little bit too much, where I wanted it to maybe the wrestling to be shot and staged a little bit more like. I was mm -hmm. watching like actual wrestling. Maybe not. I don't necessarily know, but I felt like the way that it was just the camera was just too close to it. A, a lot of the time, I will agree with you though. I think what was happening outside of the ring was by far the better aspect of this. Here's here's so I'm, I'm, I'm going to come at this from two directions. G mm -hmm. this gets a seven for me and not a nine because this is like the the um, the number of tragedies, all the different tragedies that befell this family. I wanted to be more connected to the different characters, and obviously Kevin is meant to be the main character. Zach Efron's character is is meant to be the main character in the film, but I wanted to be more connected. Now it's it's not that I didn't feel the brotherhood between the four brothers in the film, like the actors, like I really felt like they did a really, really good job of selling the brotherhood between mm -hmm. these characters. And I'm not saying that the tragedies don't hit, but I really feel like you had a lot more of an opportunity here to really explore more about the other Von Eriks as well. Like not just Kevin. I really felt like it didn't spend as much time with David, with Michael, with Carrie. And there's a fifth Von Eric brother, which I didn't even know about. That's not even in this movie. Right. That also committed suicide that they just wholesale cut from the movie for whatever reason, cut from the script, which I mean, like, and I was reading before and, and I have a thing when it comes to, when it comes to movies based on real life or inspired by true life events, I don't fault it for the changes to history because you're trying to make a compelling piece of cinema. Mm -hmm. That said, like the director, the writer director's reasoning behind removing Chris Von Eric from the proceedings is like, oh, it would have been one thing too many. And it's like, but isn't that kind of the point of their story? Like 
it's mm-hmm. one tragedy after another. This thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. Like just the constant bombardment of different tragedies, tragedies, and the suicides, and and all that different stuff that that affected this family. Like I, I that doesn't really vibe with me either. But like I said, even even forgiving that and putting that aside, I don't feel like the film lets you get to know the other brothers enough outside of their like relationship with Kevin. I feel like Mm -hmm. that's the only real aspect of them that you really get to explore. And I would have liked to, I would have liked it to be more immersive in that sense. Like if you're going to make the movie about the Von Eric family, then give me more of the Von Eric family, not just Kevin, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Let's go ahead and peel back the spoiler wall, and I'll retort on that here in a second. So uh, going forward, guys, anything that we talk about with the Iron Claw will be spoilery. So if you do not want to be spoiled, come back and listen after you've seen the movie or skip ahead to the end of the episode. All right, so real quick, I'll just talk a couple things you mentioned there that I wanted to just kind of touch on my opinion of those those specific points that you that you made. When the wrestling in the ring, you talked about that and how that wasn't really to your liking, and I get that. I think that was a conscious choice that did not bother me. It was reminiscent of like Raging Bull from Scorsese and how he would put kind of like what you said. I mean, it was like you're in the ring with the boxers and Raging Bull, and Michael B. Jordan did it again this year in his directorial debut for Creed Three, which I also really liked. I kind of like that. I, I think I like that unique style of filming, specifically within a ring, whether we're talking about wrestling or boxing, uh, because it does give you. It makes it, it feel you, more claustrophobic, it, I think. Yeah, it takes you from a less voyeuristic point of view to a more like engaged, like interactive point of view, in my opinion. Um, I would have also liked it, I think, or would have not been phased by it had it been kind of like what you're saying. So, I don't know, I guess I'm just saying it didn't bother me, but I can see why it would bother someone. I think not even like to remove that element from it. Like, I'm not saying I want it to be shot like a televised wrestling match, but like, I I really think, especially with with wrestling, especially wrestling's a lot of like, you know, turn like you're throwing guys against the ropes and you're clotheslining, suplexing. Like, it's really fast paced and the camera in this movie Mm -hmm. is kind of moving around at that pace. Which for me, like, I don't want to get whiplash, like following this camera, like all over the ring. Like, <laughs> sure, and that's yeah. kind of honest to God, that's kind of what it felt like a little bit. And like, maybe, maybe that was his intention. Like maybe he really wanted to kind of immerse you in like the punishment that the, that these athletes put their bodies through, you know, mm-hmm. doing this. But it, it, for me, it just kind of made all the action in the ring really not the easiest or the best to follow along yeah, I get it. I mean, I, like I said, I get the critique for sure. I guess it just didn't bother me uh, at the end of the day. But the the thing I do take issue with with what you said, though, is the kind of believability of the brotherhood and the emotion involved in the different tragedies that happen and the connection there. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I saw it twice. I've seen it twice. I was more connected on my second viewing. I'm just going to tell you that. And when I say more connected... I saw it the first time with Kayla in the theater, like I told you. She was emotional. I did not cry during that showing of it. Um, I was very immersed in the story. I, I loved the movie. It was still a nine for me when I left there, like an eight or a nine. But when I watched it at home a couple nights ago, I cried. And on several occasions, I was you know by myself in my TV room. And I got emotional on two different occasions in this movie. Pretty consecutively, actually, uh, both towards the end of the film and the last act of the movie. But there are some things that happen for me that I had no problem in terms of my emotional connection on that second viewing. You know, he has and it does all through Kevin. You're right. I mean, if you're not connected to Kevin and his story, because this is the story of the family, but we're he's our conduit, right? He's our point of view i mean everything that he's experiencing is essentially what the audience is experiencing and that's just the way the movie is designed i already talked about efron's performance work for me but there's a scene pretty early on when they get married maybe like halfway through the movie and um you know he's talking to david in the bathroom and we see david's been throwing up blood and obviously very sick from something that's happening with him 
and you know they share a moment in the bathroom and you know essentially Zach Efron at the end of the day is just kind of like hey man you know you should get this looked at like this is not good and David just kind of blows it off and um you can just kind of see that they understand each other in the camaraderie he tells him he's going to be an uncle that Pam's pregnant and he's just so excited for him now let me know if this has anything to do with what you were saying a second ago. So within the a couple minutes after, not even a couple minutes after that, we it's find literally out David the next scene. died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we find out David died, and the way we find out is very subtle. With Kevin coming home and his dad basically telling him, like, "Hey, they found him dead in I think it was in Tokyo or something like that." Um. And that's basically it. And then it cuts to the funeral and we obviously get the hint that he's passed on. So I want to ask you, okay, because I feel like it could be very easy for a director to, you know, use like a emotional score and like show him dead on the floor in the hotel room. And like, I I don't know, it, it could have gone a very kind of dramatic way to try to force us to be more emotional during that moment. Or it could be very subtle and kind of hit us, like blindside us a little bit, which I think is what happened, to where we have to reflect on it as the movie goes on. But what's interesting is that these tragedies start to compound on each other. And you can't really process one tragedy before another one's happening. And I found myself on the second viewing kind of wondering, like, did Durkin do that purposefully to where the audience is trying to play catch up emotionally? Does this make sense what I'm saying? Or do you have a, a opinion on that? No, I mean, you, you may be right. That may very well have been it may very well have been the intention is I mean, I mean, realistically, like, how else can you tell a story of so many tragedies all layered one right after the other without? You know, trying to catch your breath as an audience member, basically, and trying to catch up. Now, I like I do I do like the choice to not necessarily like it it doesn't have to be a grisly, violent, like we need to see the blood and guts like everywhere. We need to see gunshots like from suicides and all that kind of like Mm -hmm. I I, I do appreciate that that we we, that's not what this movie is about. We don't need to see that here. So I appreciate them withholding that stuff necessarily. You know, it just like I said, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I would have just liked more. I would have just, I like, if, if I have any critique about the movie, and I know you're the short movie guy. This movie's too long for every, for, for everything. But <laughs> like for me, like this, this movie needed to be longer. I just, I, I, I wanted more. Like, it's not, like, it. it's not like I wasn't hooked in by the performances. I think all the performances are phenomenal. Uh, I agree with what you said about Efron. This is easily one of the performances of his career if not the performance of his career so far you know obviously they put in a lot of work to to really really make the not just the wrestling stuff but also just the 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 kind of stature of being a wrestler like really really went as hard as they could to you know to to really shoot for that kind of authentic like you know like that's how like wrestlers were built like the built like a brick house back in those days you know that was all the rage i mean that's like you think of like that's the body type of like a hulk hogan or something like that it was mm-hmm. all the rage back in that time frame so like all that stuff worked for me like it's not like i wasn't connected to the characters but you know like i i mean and, and you know what maybe maybe you can't let the audience take too much time to settle into one tragedy tragedy and and sit there and 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 mourn and and become overwhelmed by it because then when the next one like by the time you get to the end there's been so many you're going to be emotionally exhausted mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i mean that that's that that could definitely be possible uh, you know i mean like i said i just it, it's not even that i didn't like i wasn't carried through the emotionality of the different things in this movie like there were definitely different moments in this movie that really captured me emotionally it's just, I mean, like I said, maybe I just wanted more, and and maybe mm-hmm. because I didn't get that more, maybe maybe I just wanted to be more immersed in that in that brotherhood. Because I mean, like, here's here's at the end of the day, as as a bystander to this, and as a as an audience member who's sitting here watching this film from Kevin's point of view, I want to understand, and I wanna I wanna kind of not necessarily you know sit where he sat and you know have my have my feet in his shoes or anything like that 
because you could never ever really i don't think convey exactly what the, all that must have been like but mm-hmm. you know maybe i wanted to know more about how that was affecting that character too like i don't know i i don't i don't know necessarily how to describe it i just i there was just something some little thing just was missing for me like just wasn't there and i i wish i i wish i knew better how to describe it but do you believe uh, or do you think there's any validity to the curse mentality no no i don't believe in curses that's silly fairy tale folklore but do you think they let that get into their heads to where they prevented themselves from being happy or you know yeah i i think believing in a curse is definitely a real thing i mean people people definitely can believe in them to the point where they like change their lives and right you know it it affects their lives completely and then in that's in that sort of respect i personally like in terms of like do i believe that they're a real thing no yeah I'm kind of with you on that too, but I I do think that kind of like what you said, I think believing in a curse is real. And I think that these guys, whether it was a product of the time in the seventies and eighties, or they just couldn't believe all this shit was happening or or whatever. I do think that at the core, you know, even if you're talking about changing the name and all that stuff, which he does for his baby, Mm -hmm. his firstborn, uh, they, and he wouldn't go around them because he's like, I don't want, I don't want it to get on them, you know? Yeah. So I think they did truly believe that there was something, you know, extracurricular kind of causing all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, when at the end of the day, it was probably just depression and fear and, you know, anxiety and whatever. So uh, there's a couple of like specific scenes and performances I do want to talk about since we're in the spoiler section here. But the, the, I will tell you that the reason this wasn't a 10 out of 10 for me, and this is going to sound silly, but it's the portrayal of Ric Flair in this film. <laughs> um, I mean, right? Am I crazy, or was that just the stupidest, like over the top? You know, I had I said earlier in my mini review that I did of this movie that it was like an SNL caricature of him. Here's what I want to say about it, and I want to I want to know whether or not you agree with me because this is the one thing I had heard about this film before I went to see it was everybody was making a big deal about how bad this portrayal of Ric Flair was. Right? Is Ric Flair? And I know you're you're from North Carolina. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's God down there. Like, you know, yeah. that's not even compared to. Like, but like, even if you don't know wrestling, even if you've never watched wrestling, you still know who Ric Flair is. That's how right. well known and how famous Ric Flair is. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the what I think about the performance is I think the performance nails the mannerisms. I think I think the voice, I think Ric Flair's voice and, and hearing we've heard ever since you were a baby, you've heard Ric Flair wrestling promos, doing the woos and the chops mm-hmm. and like all that stuff. It's been a part of your life. It's so ingrained in who you are in your entire life mm-hmm. that it, it it's always going to ring false to you no matter what. Like th- they would have had to have Flair himself like like voice that over the character true. and and fill it in that's what i think i think flair is so iconic and so ingrained in culturally like because it. as a wrestling fan i don't think you can replicate it. like i said i think i think the character got the mannerisms i think i think he got the mannerisms i think they were good enough i don't think they were I mean, maybe the like, gist was definitely there i mean it was definitely the, the gist was gist. definitely there but yeah. i i think i think that the 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 I think I think that the mannerisms and stuff were there, but I the voice definitely threw me. The voice was definitely not <laughs> the same at all. No, no. And you know, but like I said, I I I honestly, when I came out of the movie, that was one of the first things I thought about. I was like, I really think it would be impossible to accurately capture Ric Flair's <clears throat> essence in a character on a movie screen. And to your point too, if if people like us don't really know. And when I say no, I mean like live through him doing the wrestling promos and fighting in the matches that we talked about in the cold open and yeah. whatever. Then they wouldn't necessarily be taken aback by that performance because it would just be this, you know, showboaty wrestler that was, you know. That's what I'd love to know. I'd love to know the yeah. the thoughts on that performance from someone who has no idea who Ric Flair is and has never heard a Ric Flair promo in their life. I mean, I've seen like how many different times of Ric Flair stripping down in a ring by himself, like bouncing, yeah. talking to Mean Gene, bouncing off of the ropes, giving elbow drops to nothing, like, <laughs> yeah. like all that stuff. Like yeah. I, it's so ingrained in my head what a Ric Flair promo sounds like that i don't know if like i don't know if i can detach myself from what it like should sound like to be to what that actor did 
you know, like I said, I feel like the mannerisms are definitely there, though. I think the in-ring, in-ring kind of mannerisms are there, and it like even like that kind of larger than life ishness. But that's the thing is like you're already you're already portraying someone who's already portraying this larger than life right. character. Right. You know, I get like, it. Yeah. like I, I honestly got that's my that's my hundred percent about it. Is I I really think Ric Flair is too. I don't think you could probably do it justice on screen unless you had literally like Ric Flair himself do it somehow. Yeah, I'm not saying that uh, I'm not being hard on the actor Aaron Dean Eisenberg that portrayed him because I probably am. But I just growing up with Flair and I mean, he's my favorite wrestler. Do you know what I mean? So to see that portrayal, which is the first like. I mean, unless I'm forgetting something, I think that's the first like big, big budget feature representation of Flair, you know, aside from like a documentary or whatever. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to think if there's been another. Maybe that's why they haven't made a movie about his life yet either. <laughs> somebody could play him. <laughs> who, who, who on earth could pull that? Could pull uh, off Rick Flair? I don't know. Give and it you know to Ryan Gosling or case, In that case, it's going to be like an A-lister who's going to like. You know, be like Johnny Depp did with Hunter S. Thompson and go live with Ric Flair for like six months and live yeah, with right. this stealing, wheeling, dealing, uh, you know, jet riding, limousine, flying. That's not the way. Never mind. But, you know, th- like the, um, like live the lifestyle and like do the whole thing, like immerse yourself in Ric Flair to really to really pull it <laughs> off. I honestly got I, I really think I, I thought about that as I came out of the theater. I'm like, you know what? I bet you people don't like this performance because they're like me. They're like you. You've literally been hearing Ric Flair cut wrestling promo since you were a baby. You know exactly mm-hmm. what they sound like in your head. You can picture one in your head right mm-hmm. now of him getting animated, getting fired up, doing all the different things he would do. Yeah, you're like, right. Literally everything. And I, I think it's you're so right. ingrained in there. I don't think you can, I, at least for me, like that's why it was jarring to me. I was like, this isn't what Rick, a Ric Flair promo should sound like. Cause I know mm-hmm. that's not Ric Flair's voice. It was just it, that part of it took me out of it. I was just like, right. Maybe they should have just like, had Ric Flair dub him over. Like, really, that's what they should have done. It should be like, Rick, <laughs> not Rick. Or, you know what? Go back and get, right. like, I don't Actual know if that's footage. based on, like, a real promo or not. Like, maybe they could have done, like, a Forrest Gump kind of thing where <laughs> yeah. the actual footage of Flair in there. Yeah. Or something. Oh, man. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the subtle kind of secondary performances, too. I wanted to ask what, I mean, we both loved Efron. We already talked about. Great. I thought more Tierney as the mom, Doris. I've heard some kind of criticisms of her, of what her character, I should say, not necessarily her performance, but her character's kind of arc in the movie. Um, I had n- no problems with how she played the mother in this movie. And we get to that ultimate climax when all these tragedies have happened. They have like one kid left, basically, I think at that point, Kevin, or there might be another one still alive. I can't remember. Nope. And uh, it's just Kevin, right? Yeah. And she's doing artwork, which is something that she has a passion for that she's kind of not done because she's been, you know, raising her family or whatever. Yep. And uh, Fritz is just like, where's dinner? And she's like, I didn't make anything. And she just, you know, keeps doing what she wants to do. And he kind of sits down and it's just the two of them. Kevin's got his own family now. All the all the rest of their kids have passed on from from various tragedies. And then throughout the movie, too, when we see Doris and the mother character, I feel like Maura Tierney does a really good job of, in just a few seconds, visually showing us in her facial expressions the kind of, like, torment that she's kind of had bottled up inside of her in in an effort to be, whether this was, you know, consciously or not in an effort to be kind of subservient to her husband and that idyllic kind of like family life of, you know, the father and the boys and they're doing their thing. And she even says a couple of times, like that's between you guys, you know, like Kevin comes to her and he says, look, dad's being too hard on, I think it was Mike. And, uh, you know, the mom's like, look, that's, you know, you need to talk to your dad. That's between you guys. Like she won't, you know what I mean? So she kind of plays that. How did you feel? I'm just curious how you felt about her performance. I've kind of heard different people say different things about it. I'm, I loved her performance. I thought she was yeah, great. I love more Tierney. I think she's. I think she's always fantastic. What were people? What like? What are they criticizing about the character? Like, I think. I mean, in this era, I think in this era of like, hear women roar. It was just disappointing to some people 
to see her. I mean, because for all intents and purposes, I'm not I'm not saying this because I haven't really had time to reflect on this. So I'm not making this statement. But you could make a statement that Fritz as the father had a lot to do with the ultimate outcomes for some of these boys. Like they just couldn't live up to his expectations, you know, and Kevin narrating the film at certain points will say like my father tried to protect us with wrestling. He said, if we were the strongest, nothing could hurt us. And we believed him and like all that kind of shit. So an argument at least could be made that it was Fritz's fault. And at least in some way, uh, I'm not saying that, but I could see that argument. So I think some people are kind of like, why didn't he get his, you know what I mean? Why didn't she leave him for example, or why didn't, you know what I mean? Like, well, she did too. And that's one of the things the movie changed, but that's beside the point. So did she in real life? Cause I really don't know. She did. She, it was, I think it was before Carrie died. Actually. I think it was, oh, I think, okay. I think so, they, they separated before Carrie died. Okay. See, I, mean, I didn't th- know that this movie plays like, let's be real about this movie. And like, it's, I mean, again, like I don't try to take that stuff into account when I score a film that's based on true circumstances or inspired by true circumstances. But this movie changes a lot of stuff, like mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of stuff about wrestling. Is it based on like, Kevin Von Erich's uh, memoir, though, or not? It's based on his book, right? I, I don't know. I, I oh, honestly okay. could. I honestly, right. it, it could be. It, it could very well be. Uh, I don't necessarily know. Uh, for you know i i don't necessarily know that but i know like in terms of like the history of this because i was doing some reading up about mm-hmm. like the things that they changed and whatnot like i said they removed one entire brother like they had a whole other brother that wasn't even mentioned in the movie at all i heard about that a couple days ago and i was like oh okay and i kind of yeah. went down that rabbit hole too yeah like that like that like yeah like they got divorced a long time before that uh like you know kevin okay. doesn't necessarily disagree because there is you're you're not wrong other people are drawing that conclusion that literally it's it's fritz's kind of overly like harsh emotionless kind of disciplinarian and and like that kind of like image of a of a mentor and father that you can't live up to kind of like you said right like that it's his fault like you know like the movie doesn't shy away from like leaning you in that direction and kevin right. kevin has already said that that like that that's not really how his dad was uh you know like his dad like it was he blames more like the drugs and like the painkillers like carrie sure. Eric was addicted to painkillers because of the the foot he had to have amputated so like right. when he was a performer when he was a wrestler after that like he literally was like just high on in pain, pain pills the all time. the time right, yeah. right, right so you know i mean but does the film kind of lead you in that direction to say it's fritz in it to a degree yes because let's like at, at its core if you boil this down if you really look at it like this is a, this is kind of like turning a critical eye to toxic masculinity sure. you know that macho male like men don't cry like that's like the whole part right. of like the climax of the movie like like or like the very ending of the movie you know when he's playing football with his sons and like watching his sons play football and like he's just breaking down because it's reminding him of his time with his brothers because he's kind of as a character in the movie has moved past that ideal of toxic masculinity that his father kind of represents of like don't show emotion like you can't show emotion like he says that after and the even first says brother it during dies. the funeral yeah, yeah 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 like nobody better cry like nobody cry like you know like it was don't his wear time. sunglasses he's, you know yeah, yeah exactly like it's a very it's it's very very much a, a takedown of that tosculine tosculine toxic <laughs> masculine idea of sure. you know don't ever show emotion don't ever cry or don't ever whatever because like as men and i know you can you can sympathize with this as well but like as men you're constantly told like you know don't be a pussy suck it up yeah, sure like men don't cry men don't do this men don't do that so what a, especially what generation Oh, yeah, exactly. And generation after generation after generation of men have like learned how to bottle up their emotions and hold them inside. And that's why like male suicides are way, way higher than female suicides and things like that, because suck it up, pussy. Sure. Like, don't be a pussy. Why you got to cry? Like, that's like like literally like every man, every dude has been told that in their in their life before like guaranteed like a million a million different times for a million different reasons and i'm somebody who like very proud i mean we talked about it on this show reviewing movies i wear my heart on my sleeve i ball my eyes out watching some movies i let Mm -hmm. i let stuff out because it's not good it's not good to bury stuff like that like to like for your and think about it in the in the context of this film because we're swerving way outside of it like your brother dies 
and then to be told like essentially to be told you can't grieve for him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know suck it up you can't grieve like i mean seriously like, that, like that's the, funeral, the message of it after david's funeral and everything the first thing that the pop wants to talk about is who's going to you know go for the title shot yeah it's back, who's to, taking, back to who's business taking the title shot yeah back to business you know and and the brothers buy into that i mean they compete with each other at an hour after the funeral like i'll yeah. do it dad or i got it pop it's my turn you know what i mean i mean the circle like, it, like i just want to cycle it because i don't want to forget about it i want to circle it back to kind of that conversation you were having about doris von eric like more right, tyranny's sure. character in the film like how else do you want them to have portrayed that character she is the mother of in the movie anyway the mother of five sons you know, all of all of whom are like, I mean, obviously her husband is, you know, he was a wrestler himself. And then he, you know, became the owner of this wrestling promotion in Texas. And like all the boys are into wrestling and like all these different things like, you know, like she kind of probably got used to like just that, that all these different, all these different like big egos and like big like that, mm-hmm. that wrestling kind of ego, especially from the dad. You know sure. how, how he had that. Like they do have some of those quieter moments where, like you know, she and him actually have like a nicer exchange or two. But I mean, like, what what more did you want from that character? I don't know. I don't necessarily know what more you would have wanted for that character. I didn't know that uh, discrepancy in what actually happened, but I, you know, I think had I, I'm okay with it. And well, here's the I've thing heard- too: is like I can't, I can't, I can't say that that's why they divorced in real life. Like, I mean parents that lose children like divorce all the time it's not going to be easy yeah it's it's really really hard for them to you know to 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 deal with the emotionality and everything of that i mean especially you're talking multiple kids here too you know so i mean i I don't know like i can't i can't claim to be any kind of a any kind of an expert on on any of the things that happened in this movie in real life or anything like that but i do know that they did i do know that they did divorce i'm pretty sure it was before carrie killed himself in real life I think in referring to the movie and the way the movie plays out, I think that Doris had that subtle fuck you to Fritz at the end there. That's the way I took it. Like, I'm not making your fucking dinner, which might not seem like a big deal. But when you've been doing it every night for, you know, 40 years or whatever, I mean, it it has an impact. And I think it was a very subtle way for that character to tell the audience, I'm going to do what I want to do now. You know, I've lost anything that means anything to me, which I love. I love Kevin. for that character. Well, I, yeah, I really, too. really love that for that character. I think and it played out accurately to the way the film was playing out. Yeah. But I, I could have seen a scene or two written in there to where she left him, which until you told me, I didn't know actually happened. But I mean, I could see that in this movie and that would I would be OK with that. It would make sense. And then Fritz yeah. is by himself at the end, you know, because he's an asshole or whatever. So. I think maybe that might be where it kind of comes in, especially if people are keen to the fact that she actually did leave him in real life and they didn't write that into the movie. I mean, I could see the the criticism there, but it didn't bother me because I felt like it played to what Doris's character was kind of doing the whole movie. You know, it kind of it was true to her character, I felt like. We're going to be wrapping up in a second, but I just also wanted to say I loved Stanley Simons in this as Mike. Um, yep. yep. The younger brother that... Uh, you know, got into wrestling, but he was he was into music. He was a musician. Uh, that freaking sweet montage with Tom Sawyer that you know he's playing over his speakers and he's yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. come up with their entrance music and ends up being a part of the of the trifecta there for the Von Erickson. I, I really loved his quiet performance because he was like the outcast brother. I felt like like he wasn't quite as buff and he you know, was having problems on the farm with his dad. He couldn't hang the the gate up properly. And that was when Kevin said, Hey mom, you know, he's being too hard on Mike or whatever. Um, so I really liked his performance because he was trying to be like Kevin and David, but at the same time he was being his own person who was like into art and music. And well, the, the thing that, that I really love about the movie too, is that the brothers don't shun him for that. They embrace who he is. They love it. And they, yeah. and they love who he is. Like I said, I think, I think the best thing that this movie does is sells the brotherhood between Kevin Carey yeah. 
David and and Michael. I, I really think it does a phenomenal job of it because they are nothing like I mean, obviously they have their they have their their little spats and stuff like that, you know, like where yeah. they where they, you know, they get heated and stuff like that. I mean, especially because well, it's mostly they're, they're competitions their fathers have created. <laughs> their fathers yeah, created. That's, that's true. That's really, really true. <laughs> and I mean, like you like really you think about like the extra weight that must be on Michael's shoulders, like being a part of this wrestling family. Like your brother is like a like big time wrestler in this promotion. Your dad owns the promotion, runs the promotion you know your other brother is going to be in the olympics and all these different things and you know your other older brother is also becoming a wrestler and is 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 going to make his in-ring debut and it's like the extra weight that that must have on the character but i I think the, the greatest thing that this film does is it doesn't it doesn't for a moment make you question that fact it doesn't it doesn't for a moment make you question the the brotherhood between those four those four brothers and i think i think to circle back around to like the beginning and like my criticism of it it's just like i love so much that i love so much that and 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 i get like believe me i i i get the film kind of trying to make like i said that commentary about toxic masculinity and everything and don't cry like don't show emotion and all that kind of stuff like that but like i would have liked to see somewhere somehow like some part of like because like maybe it's just something that i can't i can't connect with because like i mean something like that happens to me i'm gonna be a freaking disaster right sure i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a mess or something like that so like i maybe i can't connect with it like emotionally on that level but i would have loved to see some i mean like like dave uh, kevin does have some of those different moments like you know when he's lying in bed like he can't like he can't get up like he literally is like so depressed and like so upset mm-hmm. by like all these things happening like he doesn't want to get up out of bed or mm-hmm. anything you know like how he won't he like he literally won't sleep at home like those are the parts of the movie i connected to the most because that was showing how this was emotionally affecting kevin yeah like to that point where like he wouldn't even sleep at home because he was afraid he was going to pass this curse on to his wife and kids and and somehow hurt them or, or kill them or like something bad was going to happen to them because of like their association to him Right. I just want to touch on because uh, I mentioned earlier that I cried in a couple scenes. Now, uh, one scene at the very, very end, the the very last line of dialogue in the movie, um, when his his kids see him crying, and uh, kind of like what you said, how, how he'd kind of been taught not to cry the whole movie, and we had seen different parts of emotion from him when he's reading the postcard from David. We kind of see him welling up there and uh, there's some other moments where we're like, he's definitely an emotional person um, or he has that sensitivity gene there. He just can't show it to his father. Right. But at the end of the movie, he's just bawling. I mean, just crying His kids are playing football in the yard and uh, this ranch that he lives on now. And they come up to him and uh, they ask him why he's crying. And he says, well, you know, I just, I used to be a brother, like you guys, but I'm, I'm not a, I don't, not a brother anymore. And the kids tell him that they'll be his brothers. Yeah. And, uh, I have two sons, so I fucking lost it during that scene. But the one I really, but the one I really want to talk about is the surreal moment that we get for a few minutes that Sean Durkin as a director just inserted out of nowhere. And I thought it, it could be seen as jarring. Um, and I'm talking about when Jeremy Allen white, when Carrie, um, kills himself and, you know, we kind of get that moment too, which is really important where Kevin's basically blaming Fritz. He's like, I told you to fucking watch him. You're supposed to be looking after him, which could be a larger statement to the whole movie and to their whole childhood. Uh, but anyway, uh, he carries him into the house. He puts him down. He tells him, his, you know, tells his corpse that he, that he loves him. And, and then we see Carrie, no injury to his leg or anything. It's a surreal moment. We realize, oh, okay, he's, he's in the afterlife or whatever. Cause it keeps cutting back to him dead on the table, going back to him, whatever. And he goes out on the lake and he sees the rest of his brothers that have passed on, including, uh, Jack jr. Who we had not yeah. seen up to that point, which was the first one that died before any of them were born in like a freak accident in Niagara falls or something like that. Well, Kevin, Kevin was alive. Um, Oh, he was okay. Yeah, he just Kevin was alive. Or something. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, yeah. Cause he would have been really young. Because, yeah. yeah, the two boys at the beginning. So the, the movie opens with a wrestling match that their dad has. 
mm-hmm. and like she's pregnant at the time. Oh yeah, and he's they there. Have right, two right, boys. Right. So Jack Jr. and Kevin are the two boys because they're the two oldest, and she's pregnant with Carrie, I guess, in that at that point. But it's just a surreal moment in the afterlife that we get for a few minutes where he's reunited with his brothers in the afterlife. And uh, he goes up to David and David's wearing the heavyweight belt, you know, and uh, Carrie says to him, oh, you're the heavyweight champ in the afterlife. And he says, finally, (laughs) you know, and it's just uh, like a joking thing, a little levity or whatever about the expectations throughout their life. And they finally get it in the afterlife, which is a turn of irony, but it's also got a a bit of humor to it. And it's just, it was just such a wonderful thing. And then Carrie's like, well, where's Jack Jr. And the the little boys behind him, like four or five years old. And um, they all hug, they all embrace. It was just, it was just super emotional, man. Like, it's just like, we don't know what's waiting for us, you know, in the afterlife, but to have this glimpse that, Maybe we could have that moment with the people that were the most important to us on earth. It does, it does insert a weird kind of ingredient of hope into this movie. And then it kind of continues in the epilogue of the film too, when we, you know, see the title cards of what's happened to Kevin uh, in the years since. And we see that giant family that he has now. And he's throwing his grandkids up in the air and, you know, there's like 30 people there, you know, with him on the ranch and the curse has not gotten to him. And he, you know, he's done his own, made his own way. I want to know what your thoughts of that scene were, because uh, obviously this is the only scene in the movie that's not like happening in real time. It's definitely a one off. Yeah. Uh, how did it play for you? Very jarring. Mm -hmm. Uh, very 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 jarring because and here's the thing like a lot of the suicide notes that the brothers leave say i'm going to be with my brothers Mm -hmm. like so i understand it from that perspective but here's here's my only i would say criticism of it why not the other times in the film like i get like to have that ultimate like all four of the other brothers like at least they're together again like whatever necessarily but like if that was a if that was a device you wanted to use narratively in the film maybe like why not like why not when david dies like have david just like show up on the dock alone and like is just sitting there alone like a recurring thing as yeah maybe have it be a recurring thing and then when michael dies like all of a sudden michael michael shows up or something like something like that i'm not saying that would have played any better for me necessarily like like but it was super jarring because it just kind of came out of nowhere Mm -hmm, it did the the way that it happened and like i don't i'm gonna be honest i don't necessarily know if the movie needs it i did and i don't think i want to point something out to what you're saying too and i also thought it was jarring and that's why i feel like i mean sean darkens not gonna listen to this but in talking if i was talking to him about it I would straight up tell him, like, I was emotional and cried on my second viewing of that when I kind of knew it was coming. But even though I knew it was coming as it was playing out before me, I was emotional. But the first time I saw it, I was like, wait a second. You know what I mean? Like, you, ha- your brain is trying to catch up to what's happening. Or and even by the maybe time- don't even set it up as, like, whole scenes when the other brothers die. But maybe just, like, you know, like oh your brother like oh david's dead but then like have a flash of just like david walking like down a pier or whatever Mm. like and like like it doesn't have to be a quick thing but set that up earlier so that Mm. it doesn't just come like it it comes so far out of left field that it just it kind of throws me out of the out of the end moment of that movie where like i'm now dealing with like he's just had this emotional blow up with his father like he's just like literally like like carries it carries his last brother like mm-hmm. you know and like literally like he's now lost every single one of his brothers and is carrying him back inside the house like the emotion of that is so powerful and so overwhelming and and it's kind of like you mentioned earlier like the gut punches don't necessarily hit you in the moment in this movie mm-hmm. because the movie's got to keep moving so but mm-hmm. then like i think carrie's death is kind of that point where they're all meant to like land like yeah, where they're all this, really this meant because it, right yeah, because like that, like we talked about like the other one, like David, we just find out he's dead, like offhandedly from the dad, like Michael, like we see them searching for him and they find him, but we don't even see him. But like with Carrie, it's a little bit closer to, like I said, we don't see the the grisly 
blood guts gore all that kind of stuff but we hear the gunshot like kevin's there and hears the gunshot and then finds his brother you know Mm -hmm. so like that i feel like maybe that gunshot alone is like is like the gut punch that really delivers the emotional blow of like wow he's literally lost every single one of his brothers and and i i i think that the emotion is 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 good enough in that sense i don't know if maybe that was sean trying to provide some kind of reprieve to the audience to say i know this was all really really terrible and tragic and horrible but look the brothers are together again like maybe it was meant to almost be like an emotional relief i don't don't know that's what it that's kind of what it was for me so i think that is fair to say i mean i I think this is a movie, and we're wrapping up, but I think this is a movie, and then I'll let you give your final thoughts, is that it's just going to grow over time with me, I feel like. I absolutely loved it, but honestly, it, it's already gone from like an 8 to a 9 on just one more viewing. And I think that the emotional impact that this film has built into its DNA probably won't hit you on the first viewing because of the rapid kind of pace that these tragedies happen and there's not a ton of individual time spent with each of them until we get to that culmination at the end with Carrie. And it did really, really hit me, but it was on the second viewing. And I think there's something to be said for that, that you have to really sit with, I mean, this, you know, this is real shit. I mean, this happened to a family and it's just crazy. Like I can't imagine I can't imagine three people I know killing themselves, let alone three of my (laughs) close family members. I mean, it's just like unfathomable, you know what I mean? So, and, and also to be a family that was really prominent in this wrestling circle that, you know, I mentioned it at the top that was essentially living the American dream in Texas Mm -hmm. in the eighties to be a wrestling family that was like prestigious and Kings on the mountain. I mean, and even, even they couldn't escape this depression and, and anxiety and, you know, the mental stuff that really got to them. I mean, you could yeah. say curse, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say more of, you know, mental health really. Um, so at the end of the day, I really loved it, but I can already tell that I'm probably going to find something to appreciate about it. Every time I watch it, Zach Efron, he should be nominated for an Academy award. I'm going to say it here. Nobody listens to the show, but if anybody on the Academy before January 11th is, is listening to the show, Zach Efron gives a performance that uh, I didn't know he could do what he did in this movie. He he really, really surprised me. And um, I think a lot of people might see his name and think of, uh, you know, High School Musical or Neighbors or like whatever. And I actually love him and all that stuff, too. But uh, he did something dramatically here that and he carried this film. I mean, if you're He's not got such a great range, man. Yeah, if you're not connected to, to Kevin, forget it. I mean, the movie's going to be a 3 out of 10 for you. You're going to hate it. I mean, yeah. you have to really be connected to what his character's going through. Yeah. Um, because we live that with him in the movie. And if we don't buy into what he's doing, you're not going to enjoy it. But I did. So it's a 9 out of 10 for me. Nick, any uh, final thoughts from you, buddy? Uh, Lily James. Yeah, she was good. Good. So good. She was really good. Yeah. So, so she, good. What'd you, go what were you going to No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to say, she, you know, because we had Doris as that character that we're talking about before. And then you have Lily James as Pam as the other, really, really the only other female main character in the movie. And there is that juxtaposition there because she's the new school and Doris is the old school. And you kind of see that, but you also see hints of it where like she's true to Kevin. Yeah, because because he, he's like, I'm not going to bring the curse around you guys. And she deals with that. She raises the kids by herself for X number of months or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, so you do kind of see some of those hints of Doris in in that, too. But, yeah, I agree with you. I loved her performance, man. I thought she was really good in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's phenomenal. I I there there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good about this movie. I mean, I, I honestly like maybe it's something I'll watch again. Like I couldn't honestly tell you it wouldn't be something i would seek out to watch again it didn't connect with me it didn't connect with me on that level i think that i i you know it just for whatever reason i just didn't feel as connected to the characters as i would have liked to i i really really would have loved for them to dial even deeper i i think personally and, and and this is this is just me but like i think when you have a story like this a family like this that's gone through the hell that this family has gone through like to put it bluntly i think 
like deliver those gut punches that's 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 but personally like i want to feel those emotions i want to be there in it but i also know what the movie's trying to do in terms of that commentary about toxic masculinity not giving kevin that opportunity to cry and mourn for his brothers and everything until we get to that scene at the very end when he's watching his sons play football and that's when he is finally allowed to let go and to grieve at last after everything that's happened over the course of the whole movie and so like i said i understand like the crafting of the movie to get to that point i just don't know if that works a hundred percent for me as much as it should so seven out of ten for me I hear you. So a, it was a seven for you? Oh, it was a seven. That's right. Yeah. A seven out of 10 from I'm trying to give you a higher score. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you gave it a seven? A seven out of 10 from Nick, a nine out of 10 from me. You're going to like hack the, like, well, that, not hack it, but you edit the video. So he's going to, he's going to go in the video and he's going to like, the there's going to be a little MS paint like thing that over the seven is going to close it into a nine Yeah, what? And, and everything. Yeah. And <laughs> that's not what you gave it. Yeah. There'll be a voiceover so of Gerald doing his best Nick impression. An eight overall from the peas on the iron claw. I think we both would say seek it out. um, 100%. Yeah, even if you're not a wrestling fan, and and, and I mean that sincerely, even if you're not a wrestling fan, the wrestling. They're a wrestling family, and obviously there's there's scenes that are set in a wrestling ring and them doing wrestling stuff. But as Gerald said, you kind of raised an interesting question at the beginning of this review. Is this a wrestling movie? I don't think it is. Not it's really. not so much about wrestling as it is about this family who was very prominent in wrestling. And I think uh, Aronofsky's The Wrestler is very similar, where you think it's going to be one thing and it's not about wrestling. It's about you know him reflecting on that part of his life and moving yeah. on to do something else. Which That's more about wrestling wrestler, than this but- movie is, frankly. Right, right. It's a family drama, let's be yeah. honest. All right, so look, guys, we got a lot of stuff coming up here. So we're into the new year, 2024. In uh, two weeks from when you're hearing this episode, our top five of 2023 episode will be coming out on the main feed for everyone. And we will have a very special guest, a longtime friend of ours of the show. And uh, he'll be joining us to do our top five movies of the year Oh, man, I just looked at my watches for 2023, Nick, on Letterbox today, and I'm like, man, I got to start whittling this thing down. So I had to update my Letterbox the the other day because I'm like, I haven't actually updated my reviews of mm-hmm. the last month's worth of stuff that we like. I didn't put a Saltburn review in there. Oh well, you got to put a ten up there for or definitely five up there for that uh, movies that will not appear on my top five of 2023 list in two weeks. That's the room. Hundy oh. P, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the room I'd put on the list every year if I could, if I could. Uh, next week, we have one more review for you of an Oscar hopeful called Poor Things by Yorgos Lanthimos. Nick is going to do everything he can to see that at the uh, Art House Theater close to him because for some reason Regal didn't pick it up, or at least not yet. Uh, but we're going to review Poor Things next week. That's the game plan. If we have to pivot, we will, but... We'll squeeze that one in before we do our top five of the year the following week. The Golden P Movie Awards are also coming up. In fact, the nomination special is on the 15th, which is that Monday before our top five of the year comes out. Uh, Our buddy JD from In Session and Nicole from Awards Watch will be joining me to announce the nominees for this year's Movie Awards. I'm very excited for that. So it's a lot of 2023 celebratory stuff happening in the next couple weeks. So make sure you subscribe and do all that stuff and uh, follow the podcast uh, via our link tree. If you're watching on YouTube, it's below. And if Dan was a good boy, he also put it in the show notes. So you can follow us on any podcatcher that you use. Nick, let's talk about uh, poor things next week. And let's get Ric Flair an accurate depiction at some point. Let's do that. <laughs> Who? That's the question that we can leave with the audience uh, for, for, for this one. <laughs> Who, Who is going to play Ric Flair? Ric Flair in the Ric Flair biopic? Who honestly it, could pull it off? Give it to Ryan Gosling. I'm ready. I don't yeah. know, man. He might be able to do it. I'd have to see. Now, here's. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to say it. I'm going to be. Ryan Gosling is going to have to get super dumpy looking. Like, have mm. you seen him in Barbie and like the Fall Guy movie that he's got coming out? this year he's too buff he's way too ripped and buff to play rick flair way <laughs> he's way too ripped and buff i'm oh, sorry but he is man. i'm sorry true, rick, flair, rick flair was never known for being like like completely true, like actually. cut up muscular yeah. super super have to, have to eat some more burgers or something i don't know he could do it though you're gonna, you're gonna be like well that he's got to do like a christian bale level transformation like when christian bale went from the machinist to batman yeah he's got to do that go. level of, of transformation like now ryan 
we need you to play Ric Flair, but here's here's the thing. These muscles, this this super sculpted look you got going on. No. No. You, need we you need take you six months. Stop working out. Start yeah. eating like garbage. Drink a lot. Like a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Get into character that way, too. <laughs> 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 All right. That's it for our discussion on the Iron Claw and then some. Uh, by the way, guys, over on Patreon, we have uh, thrown up this week a mini review for Maestro. Or was it uh, Waka? I'm sorry. Jeez, I forgot what we talked about already. Paul King's Waka. A mini review for that up on Patreon, and Maestro is coming in the near future, so that's where I got a little. Yeah, off that's there. right. I gotta watch Maestro still. All right, brother, I love you. Uh, watch some movies. We'll do some poor things. We'll do all that stuff, and uh, get ready for our year-end show, man. I'll talk to you we soon. We can brother. also we can also talk about Aquaman Two Electric Boogaloo. Do I have to see that? I don't want to see that. No, no, don't. Okay. Don't. Do you want to give a quick <laughs> score, real quick, out of ten? What is it? Not high. <laughs> Just tell everyone. Is it like a four? Not high. I don't even know. I can't even. I low. It's just something Brutal. low. It's not. It's, it's not great. It's not. That's James Wan too, which disappoints me. But okay, it's, it's not great. It's not Wan's fault. He, like he's working with a script written by a toddler. Probably. I don't even know. Mm, I think my son did write that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw when he sent it in. All right. Uh, I love you, man. I'll talk to you next week about poor things and uh, getting closer and closer to our year end wrap up. All right, glasses guy, behave yourself.